stop me if you have heard this one before. Somebody writes a book. Some other people don't like it. Maybe they even try to keep everyone from reading that book. And then the controversy over the book goes on to help it sell about a bajillion copies. In this case, we are talking about a specific book. In 1957, when writer Allen Ginsberg's book Howl was the subject of a huge obscenity lawsuit. The book was considered so obscene that a court was asked to decide whether it should be removed from store shelves immediately. Here is Allen Ginsberg reading from the poem of the same name. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix. Angel-headed... Throughout the book, Ginsburg explores in graphic detail how deeply messed up his generation was by the effects of both World War II and poverty. And his position was, you know, when the government arrests you for poetry, everybody wants to read that dirty book. And he sold tens of thousands of them because of the vibe that goes with, oh, my God, what's the buzz with that, you know? That is Jerry Semino, a longtime fan of Ginsburg's work, who, along with his wife, owns and operates the Beat Museum in San Francisco. Ultimately, after a trial, a judge ruled that Howell had redeeming social value meaning it was not obscene, but a work of art. And that very day, the headline in the San Francisco Chronicle says, Howell, not obscene. And then below it, it says, Russia launched Sputnik. The very same day. And so the legend goes, columnist Herb Kane looked at the San Francisco Chronicle and said, He says, well, you know, the Russians may have their Sputnik, but we've got our beatniks here in North Beach. They're pretty far out, too. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And today, we are headed to the Beat Museum in San Francisco, where else? It's a shrine to the incredibly influential movement and a destination for folks keeping the movement alive. Today, we follow our inner moonlight after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Bee Museum is this two-floor bohemian space with the aesthetics that you might expect from an old coffee shop or a college dorm room from the 60s or, you know, from the Beat Museum. There are old couches, there's furniture donated from local businesses, and the museum is chock full of artifacts from some of the most important writers in American history. To Jerry Semino, the idea of the Beats, who were kind of like the hippies before the hippies, these ideas are ones that everyone can learn from. For us, we like to say that the themes of the Beats were basically compassion for others and a desire to uh, find your own truth in the world and to not be afraid to embrace who you really are. In the 1950s, the Beats were promulgating these ideas that it was okay to be different in society. Uh, they They were on the outer edge. You know, they were not in the mainstream at that time. It was the early 1950s, with World War II just behind the country, and a decent life was starting to feel within reach for many Americans, in large part thanks to the GI Bill. And everyone's kind of going for it, trying to buy that house in the suburbs, fill it with new cheap appliances, get a car. America fell into a kind of conformity of the dream life. But there were those who decided they wouldn't just go along with the wave. And they became known as the Beatniks, the Beat Generation. And their literary movement inspired artists from the mid-20th century all the way up to today. You know, it was was an era of uh, segregation. It was an era of uh, industrialization and, and massive change. And they went inward. And they basically embraced everyone. They were a very diverse group of people, even though it was... The the three main members who got very famous were all white men, but there were lots of Asians, Latinos, Blacks, women were treated as intellectual equals to the men. Gays, lesbians were part of the group. Um, And they were very embracing of people with differences in a time when that didn't happen a lot. Those three members that Jerry mentioned, Jack Kerouac, William Burroughs, Allen Ginsberg, you've probably heard all of their names. That's because that trio made up the big three beats, the most famous of them. They pushed the boundaries of literature at the time. They did drugs. They were just moving away from this kind of more structured American dream. And mainstream America saw the beatniks as obscene. Their drug use and sexual deviancy as uh, an assault. Even academics of the time saw the literary movement as unrefined. The B generation was a a generation of beatitude and pleasure in life and tenderness. This is Jack Kerouac in an interview in 1968. It said that he coined the name the Beat Generation. But they called it in the papers a Beat Mutiny, Beat Insurrection, words I never used. Kerouac's most known work, On the Road, It's almost like a beatnik Bible. It tells the story of a reckless protagonist, Dean Moriarty, and his band of friends as they experience life on the open road, traveling throughout the country, living on impulse. You know, on the road, 
is is almost like you know Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. If you're familiar with that, the hero you know has to leave home and he finds all these tasks he has to perform and all these obstacles he's got to overcome and he winds up meeting his band of brothers and compatriots are going to get him through it and then it comes full circle and he's back home again at, but he has changed the place hasn't changed he has changed and on the road is basically that that same story it's like the odyssey you know that's the story you know that that a lot of people understand Jerry was just a baby in Baltimore when Kerouac and others were publishing their biggest novels. But around two decades later, the beat authors began to make their mark on him. I had an interesting experience. I I met my wife. I read my first Kerouac book and I got my first good job with IBM all in the same week when I was about 22 years old. The big week. (laughs) And it changed my life. The book that Jerry picked up was Desolation Angels, another Kerouac classic. After he read it, Jerry dived into all the rest of Kerouac's novels. Kerouac's work changed Jerry's life. It even influenced him to leave his hometown behind. He traveled to California, where he and his wife fell in love with the scenery that the coast had to offer. So much so that in 1995, Jerry and his wife decided they were going to buy a home in Monterey, that's between San Francisco and L.A., and open a little bookstore. Competition was incredibly fierce, and the business didn't last long. But one thing they did get out of it was 1-800-Kerouac, the phone number of the bookstore, as well as Kerouac.com, which, because it was the early days of the internet, they registered and no one cared. But the very next year, Jerry was back working in corporate America. But the thing for me is I always knew that if I got hit by a bus in the morning going to work, they'd have somebody sitting at my desk the next morning. And I was looking for a way that I could make an impact and what were my skills. And I I knew I knew business and I had a passion for Kerouac. By this time, it had been 20 years since Jerry had read his first Kerouac book. And his love for the author had led him to amass a small collection of memorabilia, things like an original edition of On the Road, some posters, stuff that might mean something to fans of the Beatniks. I wound up talking to my wife. I said, you know, if we were to move my collection of stuff that's sitting in the garage and put it downtown and call it a museum, maybe people will show up. So we did. That's exactly what happened. So Jerry and his wife moved to San Francisco, rented the first two floors of a building downtown, and got to work putting up Jerry's Beatnik memorabilia. They called it the Beat Museum. And... Given that San Francisco was the eventual home of the beatnik writers themselves, it was really the perfect place to open the museum. Because this is where all the artists have hung out for decades. And it's a, it's a very hip, bohemian-type area. People come here from all over the world. It's almost like a pilgrimage. It's almost like you got to make your journey and come here. And, and they walk the streets that Ginsburg walked and Kerouac walked. Today, the museum is full of artifacts from the Beat era. Things like typewriters used by the Beatniks, old Playboy magazines they were published in, original editions of On the Road and Howl, and even a jacket that Kerouac himself used to wear. And then there's there's other cool things, like there was a movie made about 10 years ago called On the Road, which is about you know, Kerouac's most famous novel. 
And so when they finished the filming, the director of the film named Walter Salas gave us the car. So it's the 49 Hudson, which would have been this dream boat of a car back in 1948 when they were purchased new. And uh, this is the, the cars that they drove cross country in. And it, this car is almost like a character in the novel. You come to know this car because it's described so beautifully. And it's these old items, mixed with this early 50s and 60s aesthetic, that give the museum this free spirit vibe that the Beatniks were known for. It's, uh, it's, it's earthy, I guess is one way of putting it. And we kind of like it that way because it feels a lot more authentic that way than if it was cleaned up and shiny and new. I don't think it would have the same impact because it's not high glitz. We don't have a lot of you know, flashing screens and, and music pounding. We've got artifacts in glass cases and, um, you know, books and things that people read. People, people who come to us are readers. So they're fine reading panels that explain, here's how World War II influenced the Beat Generation. And here's how the Beats became, you know, the hippies of the 60s because of this, you know, confluence of events. But Jerry wants to make sure that visitors know that this is not just an homage to the past. The stuff in the Beatnik Museum, he thinks, has echoes for what is happening around us today. About 20 years ago, when we first opened the Beat Museum, a guy walked in and said, whatever happened to the Beats? And I said, are you kidding? They're all around us. The, the values of the Beat generation took over our society. And we're still fighting the same culture wars that they were fighting back in the 1950s, you know? You know, race is still a big deal in this country, and and banning books is still a big deal in this country, and, you know, gay and lesbian rights. I mean, you know, you've got these battles that are never-ending, you know? Women's bodily autonomy. Today, Jerry leads tours of the museum that are usually filled with high school students. He tells us these tours are some of his favorites because he can impart the lesson of the Beat Generation to a new, young generation, as yet maybe unnamed today. I try to make them realize, you know, you can, you know, your mom wants to be a doctor, your dad wants you to be a lawyer, and you want to be a dancer, you know? And you got to love them, and you got you to gotta listen to your parents, but you got to fulfill your own heart's desire as well. And that's the challenge of life. The Beat Museum is in the North Beach area of San Francisco and is open from 10 to 7 every day. The store also hosts events and sells souvenirs, books, magazines, and more. Go check it out. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Baudelaire. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There is a link in the episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk. 
where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com.